Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a loss of words, in a confusing order, to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. This week we're looking at Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So, Rich, what's that all about? Hello, mate. Hello. Matt, I think I'm getting the hang of poems. Huzzah. I mean, that's bold. What have, you, <laughs> what have you got? Well, I think after we've been through this, you'll agree. I've absolutely nailed it. First things first, I really enjoyed this poem. Excellent. Percy Shelley. Heard that name. They're a famous one, aren't they? He is. He wasn't famous in his lifetime, really. He was one of those that got famous afterwards. But we can go into that later. Much like we hope to be. I hope to be famous imminently. <laughs> well, judging by the download... The listener counts of this podcast. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Send me money. <laughs> this is a genuine appeal to the few people who do listen to this podcast. If you listen to this regularly and you like it, could you please tell your friends? It's just to make it worthwhile. Make it worthwhile our time. Or if you do want to give us money, just go to patreon.com forward slash poetry blokes and you can sign up and you can give us money there. Yeah. So. You don't have to give us money. Just listen. Just get more people to listen. That's the yeah, main. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your enemies. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Poetry Blokes for more hilarious poetry-related content. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. I'm good at poems now. So, you want to hear my general vibe? Absolutely, yes. The general vibe is, this is a poem which actually strikes a chord with me because the moral (laughs) of the poem is... Don't bother doing stuff because it all turns to shit in the end anyway. So why bother? Yeah, that's an interesting take on the moral. I, I think it's sort of, yeah, it's in the it's in the realm of what Shelley's talking about. Exactly, yeah. You're, it's all going to end up a collapsed statue in the desert. So why bother doing it in the first place? Which, as you know, is, is my attitude to life. Is that the attitude you're going to teach your firstborn child? Oh, look at the dickhead his phone's going off. <laughs> oh, such a pro. Is that your alarm for Arsenal? It's a one hour alarm, isn't it? No, that's my alarm because I usually wake up from my nap at quarter past six. Well, that's a late nap. Oh, well, 
Oh, actually, no, you were awake all 24 hours now, weren't you? 24 so... hours awake, yeah. I try and get a little nap in between five and six. What was your question? I asked whether you were going to teach this outlook that you have to your firstborn child. I'm hoping he'll be better than me in every way. He's <laughs> setting the bar low. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Woefully low. No, no. I'll, I'll teach him that it's important to try and all that sort of... Sh- those old lies. So, yeah, anyway. Let's get back to the poem rather than how, how I'm going to morally steer my child. <laughs> yeah, so the moralists don't bother doing anything. That being said, it's a nice little poem. Some of the lines in there I really enjoyed. I really like the opening line. I think it's a nice turn of phrase. Where is the antique land? Don't care. Doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> it's a big furniture warehouse just off the A10, I guess. <laughs> it's an old carpet world. Antique land, yeah, next to the carpet right. And um, <laughs> yeah, PC right. World between those two. So it's from the first person of Percy, isn't it? Percy. He's met a traveller from an antique land. I don't know where the antique land is, Matt. It's somewhere with a desert. So I'm guessing uh, Middle East or. A bit lower. North Africa. Correct. Okay. How do you know that? I have at previous times researched the name Ozamandias. I didn't take it at face value. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, the land is Egypt. Ozymandias was the name of Ramesses II. Ah, well, okay. It did pass my mind to Google this, actually, today, because I was interested. <laughs> then I watched Man City Liverpool instead. This is how I think it must feel to be a teacher, to be like a real teacher, like with kids and stuff. Yeah. You must get them to a point where you like, oh, just... They take the next step. They'll have done, you know, they've done it. They'll they'll work it out for themselves. <laughs> You're like, I thought about Googling Ozymandias, but I couldn't even be bothered to Google it, which takes literally one minute. And you would have got the first hit and you would have been like, oh, okay, that's it. And you were like, nah, I just watched the football instead. I just imagine that must be every, the day in the life of every, every single day for a secondary school teacher. It just must be that feeling over and over again. Just be like, if you just do this small bit of work, you'll find out the answer. And everyone's like, nah, I'm just going to go on. <laughs> Just gonna do Snapchat, mate. Have you checked out my Insta stories? No, I haven't checked out your Insta stories, mate. Oh, I don't have any. I don't have no, any. Mate. I didn't think you did. Imagine it's frustrating. You know, get over it. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's gonna change. Not at this point. Very set in my ways. When did you set in your ways? Because I feel like there was maybe at university like seventy-five percent set. I felt like there was some flex, but that flex is very much gone. <laughs> I said that as a joke. I actually don't think I've set my ways. I actually think I'm a very malleable individual. Just in certain areas, which happen to not be poetry. (laughs) I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be led and guided. You know, if you think back to whatever the first poem was we did, to where we are now, come a long way. That's true, yeah. Come a long way. Absolutely, yeah. I've read, I've now read, what's this, episode 16? 17? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's a lot of poems to have read that I didn't read before. Absolutely. So, you know. Malleable. Just as an aside, I've absolutely sunk a pint of Guinness yeah, already. You, in the, just watch you see that away I, then. I'm blue. I'm no, I'd never drink this quickly, really. But I'm sort of hungry. I feel like that really affects me. Can you eat beer? You crashed like crash another one. Wow, I brought two up, Rich. Just go oh, okay. you haven't just got cans of Guinness under the desk, do you say? Just a couple. Mm. No, I wouldn't say I'm sitting my ways. Keep chipping away, Matt. You're doing a good job, I promise. Ten years in. I've already lost track of what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, we're still on the first line. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important line, though. I yeah. met a traveller from an antique land. So you've told me it's Egypt. This antique land is Egypt. 
it's interesting he calls it antique and not just yeah ancient would have been the more common term yeah it is, it is an odd one isn't it yeah do you want to give any guidance on why that is um, I've never been 100% sure of this myself, but I wonder whether or not it's because it's related. the poem is related to an object. Right. And therefore he's... Like the object is very old, so he's used a word that you'd often use with old objects to describe the country. Right. The poems are deep, aren't they? They can be. They could be art. They, they, they could be bothered to think. <laughs> well, you've got to spice it up, haven't you? I mean, the, the classic thing with any sort of writing is... I feel like what I'm about to say you're going to disagree with strongly, but the aim is not to simply say what's happening because that's dull. Absolutely disagree with you. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. If you opened up a novel and it would be like, it was raining. Right, do, you remember what, do you remember once we were on a ferry um, on the way back from France and you picked up the book I was reading? I forget which book it was now, but it's some sort of historical fiction, I think. And you read out a couple of lines and you were crying with laughter. Because you're like, this is the most <laughs> basic storytelling yeah. I've ever read in my life. And I was like, it's a good book. What's your problem? But I don't want to sit on the ferry reading, you know, War and Peace, do I? It's, it's a story. It's supposed to tell you what's happening. Yeah, I have this sort of clash a lot because I, I don't get historical fiction. I mean, I don't really get it, but there's stuff like Wolf Hall, which is, you know, really like it's quite an intricate story and well written and all that. But it's just not a, a genre for me. But so many of that historical f- f- fiction is... It's the same story over and over again. <laughs> it's a bit like Hornblower or something in a book or something. You know, oh, it's if just you're like, about to slag off Hornblower, I'm going to come to where you live. I'm going to kick your teeth in. I'm not going to slag off a Hornblower as a series because Hornblower as a series is excellent. But it's more like, you know, sort of historical fiction where someone's like a Roman legionary or something and it's just every story is the same. They go on campaign, there's a ha- something hairy happens, they make it back, it continues. I mean, yeah, it's pretty formulaic, but I'm there for the formula. But don't make me work for it, just tell me the story. Well, I'm happy that the poem Ozymandias is working as some sort of bridge between that outlook and the outlook of poems what are hard to read, because you're definitely moving into that territory. I mean, this, this was difficult to read. I did enjoy it. Something this short, you should be able to read really quickly, but it takes ages. Yeah, I actually feel like that's quite a good summation of poetry in general. <laughs> if you go to university to study literature and poetry, that should be the opening lecture. After this podcast, I'll be able to lecture in it, mate. You reckon it'll be quick to read? But it's not. <laughs> Traveller from an antique land. <laughs> We're still on the first line. That's right. The pace picks up. Yep. And then there's a, there's a section here which is all great stuff. It's all lovely. I like it. It's descriptive. I can understand it. So the traveller says to Percy, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies. A big old head. Correct. Cool. Whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. So it's got an aggressive face on this fallen head. Right? Yeah. Correct. I'm loving all of this, right? Yeah. I can imagine this. Got no problems with it. Next line throws me a bit. Yeah. Tell that his sculptor, well, those passions read. He's just put forwards in, in an order that doesn't really make any sense. Like Percy Shelley's looking at this statue, this head. Or whatever. No, he's not looking at the head, sorry. Someone's describing the head. Yeah. The guy who's describing the head is saying, yeah, here's this big head. It looks really aggressive. It's got, you know, a sneer on it. It's so lifelike that you know that the sculptor must have experienced that person or their behaviour in this way to so capture this expression. Right. Okay. So it's like saying this, the sculptor really must have gone through, must have experienced this to, to know so well how to put this look on this statue's face. So he's 
positing that the sculptor did this from a life. He was there. He met this king, this king of kings. Yeah. Someone came in with a commission and they were like, we want to commission you to do a statue. And he's like, yeah, of who? And they go, Ozymandias. He goes, got it. No worries. I'll just, yeah. I'll just start chiseling away straight away. He's like, I've got the expression. I know it. I know him well. He often sneered cold commands at me. <laughs> yeah. Statue. Uh- make more statues. <laughs> Do you have a premier product or sensational service that Poetry Bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated, and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, aren't they? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. Okay, well, yeah, that's fine. So I sort of understood that. The bit that struck me at this point, Matt, is... This is a really weird way to start a conversation that you haven't met. I totally agree. So the lead into this poem is that you're walking somewhere, you don't really know where, and you bump into an Egyptian who opens with (laughs) two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. I just imagine like, obviously you can't see this if you're listening, but you know, standing on the street and just like looking over each shoulder and then just being like, are you talking? Are you talking to me? And then he's just near them on the sand, half sunk. And you're like, oh, he is. He is talking to me. <laughs> I don't know this man. Yeah, what I imagined was I'm at the pub with you, right? And you go off for a wee and I'm looking at my phone. And as I'm looking at my phone, somebody's in my peripherals. And they just start talking at me. Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. And you sort of put your phone and you turn around. And before you know it, you're stuck in a conversation with, with this Egyptian fella. And he's telling you the weirdest story. But... Percy seems quite into it. So, you know, we were saying earlier how I'm malleable and willing to change, Matt. Yeah. This is how I'm going to change. Usually when I meet somebody, I've got a couple of topics I open with. Often talk about football. Yep. If they don't like football, talk about work. Yep. If they, what they do is particularly boring, then oh, I don't know, we have to find some other common ground. I don't know. More boring than a logistics engineer? I'm not a logistics engineer, mate. What are you? So much more than that. <laughs> I've got... <laughs> I don't want to talk about this on the podcast. I've got a new job title. Oh, yeah. Aren't you like King of the UK? King of Kings. <laughs> I didn't... I didn't... I just didn't expect you to go for blasphemy. But yeah, sure. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, let's not talk about my work. Anyway. But now... Now I've seen how successful this is. Sus. What a great way to start conversations. I'm just kind of a list of fallen empires I'm going to talk about in my mind. Are you going to lead with Egypt, Ramesses II, no, as might, a result of this poem? No, I might go for a different fallen empire. Lots to choose from. Mongol. Mongol, yep. Good one. Byzantine. Yep. Roman. Roman. Persian. Visigoth. <laughs> yeah. Celtic. So many. They all fail, don't they, long term? What does that tell you? Logistics. Logistics. No jokes, it's often yeah. logistics that put that yeah, now, makes a fail. Tell you what they, those Romans could have done with a few more logistics engineers, mate. That's not <laughs> what I do. But that's what they could have done with. Yeah, that's the end of that bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the extent of my thoughts on that. So we get to tell that it's sculptor well those passions read, yep. which yet survived, stabbed on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. Stamped on these lifeless things, right? So that's fine. That's his. That's the sculptor having made his impression on the stone. I get that. 
the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. What's, what's that bit about? I still think it's relating to, the, to Ozymandias and his hateful reign. So you had mocking hands. Well, I think it's relating to the sculptor who is sculpting the characteristics of Ozymandias. Right. Which yet survived stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and on the pedestal because he's, he's like mentioning several things about the statue and then he moves on to the pedestal. So we start with the head. Yeah. Which is weird, actually, because the shattered visage lies half sunk. But then we can also read the pedestal. So we have to assume that, I guess, it's just fallen over. It's just lying, slightly sunken in the sand somewhere in Egypt with the pedestal showing and that you can read the entire inscription. It's fortunate, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Handy when you've got a poem to write. <laughs> also, the pedestal is written in English, which is also... Stroke of luck. Well, no, the, the Egyptian fellow's translated for him. Oh, yeah, true. Could, that could second be it, yeah. Hand, second-hand information. This could, could all be bollocks, couldn't it? This Egyptian fellow could be making it up. Great story, though, isn't it? In terms of like the quality of stories that you might hear in a pub or bumping into someone in the street, I feel like someone bumping into you and saying, somewhere in Egypt there's a massive statue, and it's got this written on the bottom, what do you reckon? I'm, I'd be like... Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, good opening. That's, good my, opening. that's my point. That's why I'm going to give up on the normal stuff and go for this. Go for the Fallen Empire stuff because <laughs> I'm wrapped. Like I said, if this fellow came up to me in the pub whilst you're off having a wee, I would listen to him. I'd, I'd buy him a pint. They tell us more. Did I ever tell you, just on the point of me nipping off for a wee in a pub yeah. and coming back, that I was on a date once and I went to the loo and when I came back, there was another guy at the table. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't told me the story. It sounds great. Well, I was on a date, came back to the table. I could see this guy talking to the girl I'm on a date with. Yeah. And I was immediately like, I was immediately like, I don't, I don't like this. But I walked up to the table, I went to sit down. And the guy was just like, yeah, so we've been, we at this other table, and he points at the table, that we've been watching you and we think that you're on a date. And I was like, okay. Right. And then he went, um, we think that she's quite into it, but you're not, you're not that interested. And just bearing in mind that the girl I'm on a date with is sitting opposite me at the table and this other guy is just talking to me and I was like, oh, okay. Did you say that's my natural aloofness? I think I said something like, oh, thanks for that. I mean, for listeners who haven't obviously hung out with me, they'll know that there are sort of two broad moods that I have. One is engaging and two is very much disengaged. <laughs> and I was in the latter of those two moods when this guy was around. And I, I mean, to him to... it's a real dick move from him. Was he trying to? It's like, if, it's like if you're trying to make a, I can only assume you're trying to make a move on this girl that I'm with, and that you think I'm gonna like cave in front of her or something. Yeah. But it was so bizarre, and I just wanted to be like, I wish it was like one of those BBC documentaries where there's like a sociologist behind a two-way mirror, and it's being filmed, and they could give an insight into what was going on. Because I just thought this guy is insane. Like, what did he expect me to start crying and be like, oh, you're so right. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't carry myself. I should run away. You can have her, have this girl. Absolutely ludicrous. But yeah, <laughs> such a weird thing for just a random person to come up to your table and start doing that. There's really only one way to deal with that, Matt. You've got to offer him out cool. for a game of Punch Your Fisty. Well, the trouble with that strategy is I'd probably lose that. So <laughs> <laughs> what I went with well, is an then, extreme... And, and then he would... He would win the he, woman. He would win the girl's heart as you stood there, swollen a fist. I played to my strengths, which was I'm very, very good in an awkward silence. That's where I do some of my best work, actually, I'd say, in life. is that, and, and I just left the silence go so long. And I was just like, thanks for that. 
yeah. see you later. Makes it hard. I just sort of turned away. Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. How recent was this? <laughs> I'm over it, Rich. It, a long <laughs> it time doesn't ago. sound like but, you are. And that guy, no, it's just weird. This is one of those things you remember in your life because you're like, that's so odd. I've never had that happen before. That's a bad opening. Sorry. If you open with a statue that's fallen in the desert, it's got an interesting inscription on the pedestal. Much stronger opening. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Much stronger. Absolutely. And anyway, happy ending because you and that girl are now married with three children. Let's move on. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, the pedestal. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Yeah, I like this bit. The quote, or the next bit. The quote. First of all, he, he's given him... Uh, his name is quite cool. Ozymandias is a good name. Then he gives his title, King of Kings. Also a great title. But then, it's just a big-time brag... And it's like, look at me. Look on my works. Even though you're mighty, I am mightier. Get despairing, lads. I like it when people are just put it out there. But then also, in the context of this poem, I enjoy the irony that, you know, there's nothing there anymore. It's desert in it. That's the crux of it. Brings me back to my original point. Ozymandias, he may have had his, his glory days, but it's all over. Nothing changed. wasn't worth doing. It's all dust. Don't bother doing anything. What's the only thing left? The last line? The lone and level sands that stretch far away. That's it. From the sands he came and into the sands he went. Yeah. Boundless and bare. If I slightly tweak your original interpretation of the poem, I would say, which is fairly accurate, but I would say more specifically it's probably talking about empire and the pointlessness of tyranny mm. in that way. So you're trying to dominate a land or all these people uh, but in fa- and build all these statues to yourself, but in the end, you die and no one remembers your empire, really. It's all gone into the sand. And that's fair enough, because as we previously discussed, we can reel off all those empires that have come and gone. I did have a few points about his empire in my position as a logistics expert. Go on. So who builds the centre of their empire in the middle of a desert? Ridiculous. The Egyptians. Yeah, but you've got to have running water, haven't you? Actually, that was one of their problems, wasn't it? Loads of disease, because the only water source they really had was the Nile, and they let it flood, and all the mosquitoes stung them and carried disease. Yeah. They did pretty well, though, to be fair. They did fine, didn't they? I'm going to give you a half-remembered fact now. My favourite kind. (laughs) The birth of Cleopatra was closer to the invention of the iPhone than it was to the building of the Great Pyramids. Yeah, that's always great. It's always great because it just shows the insanity of the pyramids and also just the stretch of time. Yeah. It was like 5,000 BC or something, was it? 4,000 BC? Long time ago, mate. Long old time. Long, long time ago. That's all that matters. Another interesting point about this poem is that it was written as part of a little competition between Shelley and his mate, Horace Smith. Horace Smith wrote a poem called Ozymandias and Percy Shelley did. Do you want to hear Horace Smith's go? And then yes, you can, uh, please. You can judge that one? Okay, here we go. In Egypt's sandy silence all alone stands a gigantic leg which far off throws the only shadow that the desert knows. I am great Ozymandias, saith the stone, the king of kings. This mighty city shows the wonders of my hand. The city's gone. Naught but the leg remaining to disclose the site of this forgotten Babylon. We wander 
and some hunter may express wonder like ours when through the wilderness where London stood, holding the wolf in chase, he meets some fragment huge and stops to guess what powerful but unrecorded race once dwelt in that annihilated place. Interesting. It's not as good, is it? Yes, I was waiting to see what you say about that, but it's not as good as Shelley's. Mm. Although I do quite like the comparison he's made between the ancient land and the current one. So, you know, like the idea of London being wiped away. I don't know why I think it's as good. But it's interesting because I don't think it is as good. Shelley's just a better poet. It's just a better poem overall. Horace Smith's version's a bit loose, isn't it? It's a bit jarring, whereas like Shelley's kind of a nice flow to it. I was going to say, Horace, Horace is a bit clunky for me. And there's yeah, he is, a few of the things he throws out are the two in your face, whereas Percy's he's hidden it all in there, isn't he? It's very compact and neat and it's just better. So he's got you. He's changing it. It's the one that puts everything out on show, most obviously, is the lesser poem, at least in this instance. In Egypt, sandy silence all alone stands a gigantic leg. So we can, let's compare that image to Shelley's, which is two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. It's better, isn't it? It's a better it image. Better. Yeah, maybe it's because there's two of them. Two legs better than one. Trunkless legs. And you also feel like it's sort of a bit rambly. Even though it's only two stanzas, Smith's just seems a bit... Oh, well, I mean, I'm going to blow them both out of the water later, so... <laughs> Bosh. <laughs> Do you want to hear a bit about Percy Shelley? <laughs> I'd like nothing more. Well, here we go. This is from B- the BBC, no less. Big British Castle. Percy Bysshe Shelley was born on 4th of August 1792 near Horsham in Sussex. His father was a member of parliament. Shelley was educated at Eton and at Oxford University. There he began to read radical writers such as Thomas Paine and William Godwin. In 1811, he was expelled for his contribution to a pamphlet supporting atheism. Yeah. Shelley then eloped to Scotland with a 16-year-old Harriet Westbrook. Not so good person. Oh, hang on. How old is he? Let's let's work that one out. Let's work that one out. 1792, 02... So he's 19. Oh, I think that's in the realm of accessibility. The resulting scandal, though, caused a serious rift with his family. Harriet and Shelley had two children, but soon separated. In 1813, Shelley published his first serious work, Queen Mab. In 1814, Shelley fell in love with Mary, the 16-year-old daughter of writers William Godwin and Mary Wollstonecraft. The couple travelled together in Europe and spent the summer of 1816 at Lake Geneva with Lord Byron. Ah, right. May I interrupt briefly? Absolutely. I've listened to a very good podcast about Percy Shelley. It's now just twigged. Oh, it's, oh, no, sorry. The podcast was about Mary Shelley and he was obviously a large part. It is You're Dead to Me, the BBC podcast. It's very good. I recommend it. BBC have many good podcasts at the moment, actually. So, yeah, do check that out. So, yeah, the couple travelled together in Europe and spent the summer of 1816 at Lake Geneva with Lord Byron, absolute dude. (laughs) Shelley wrote poetry and Mary conceived the idea for her novel Frankenstein, which is also very good. I wrote an essay on that back in the uni days. In December 1816, Shelley and Mary were married just a few weeks after Harriet had drowned herself. Yeah, so that's an ex-girlfriend twist that you don't necessarily want 
1818, Shelley took his family to Italy where they moved from city to city. Two of the Shelley's children died and Mary herself suffered a nervous breakdown. Nonetheless, this was the most productive period of Shelley's life. Poems included Prometheus Unbound in around 1819 and Adonais 1821, inspired by the death of his friend and fellow poet John Keats. In April 1822, the Shelleys settled on the Bay of Larici on the northwestern Italian coast. On 8th of July, Shelley was returning from visiting his friends Lord Byron and James Lee Hunt when his boat overturned and he drowned. He was cremated and his ashes placed in the Protestant cemetery in Rome where Keats was also buried. Interesting stuff. Full on, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. full on. He crammed a lot in. Died in 1822 and was born in 1792. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. 30 years old. Yeah, he did, he did ram it in. We are now older than he was when he died. Yeah, so he had two loves, popped out a couple of kids and went through his most prodigious phase. Hanging out with his mates in Italy, capsized a boat, drowned. 30 years old. I think we're on a slightly slower burn. Yeah, we are. it seems to be the way, this generation. I mean, that generation, they were. we've gone through so many histories of literary figures and they just like do everything in their first 35 years. And then they just like swan around for the rest of it. And we've done fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a matter of policy for me. But you've got no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. I feel like my 40s is going to be my decade. This is coming up to the, the big decade. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 big, yeah, yeah. big. Do you want to give us your engineers overview then? Yeah, I would really love to. Oz E. Mandius by Percy Shelley. Man finds collapsed statue of king in desert. Overthinks it, tells a stranger. The end. <laughs> I thought he'd be like, man finds statue in desert. £20 or nearest offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Rich. It's been a very jo- enjoyable chat. Yeah, quick fire, that one. Uh, it was a short poem, but I think we covered a lot of ground with that. Yeah, yeah, you know? I really enjoyed it. Well, I said it at the top of the podcast, didn't I? I think I've got poetry. I think I've, I've done it. Shelley's a good one to go for. He's got some, yeah, he's got some good stuff, that boy. Yeah. Um, and on that note, uh, yeah, say thank you very much to Rich. And please join us next week when we look at The Passionate Shepherd to His Love by Christopher Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Sounds right up my street. I love a shepherd. Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore. <laughs> <laughs>